0: Christopher Ryde self-published his first novel, The Schumann Frequency, a thriller about time travel, after spending 10 years writing it but having no success in finding a publisher. He went on to sell well over the 10,000 copies he was aiming for and the rights to the novel were eventually bought by Random House. They have now published the second book in the Overseer series, The First Boxer. Christopher also owns a successful IT business which employs hundreds of people and somehow manages to divide his time between managing the business and writing. We suspect Christopher doesn't get too much sleep. So thanks for joining us today, Christopher.
1: Thank you, Valerie. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, tell us a little bit about the Schumann Frequency and the first Boxer. I know that many people have read your books, but just in case there's a few people out there who haven't, give us a little bit of an idea on what they're about.
1: Well, they're, they're based on the premise that a, a time traveller is sent back back from the future to manipulate historical events. So you get to uh, study the the history, the ancient history and all the facets, the interesting facets of... Of our historical past, but through the eyes of someone who's who's coming back to actually manipulate the future, and you know that old uh, line that uh, nothing is more bizarre than actual fact is uh, is really the basis for the stories that I write. And it's about uh, some missions that are encoded in the Dead Sea Scrolls to go back and uh, ef- effectively take control over time itself.
0: Now you must have a very active imagination. How in the world did you um, come up with this premise?
1: Well, you know, when I when I first started writing *The Human Frequency*, which is the, the first book that I wrote, I um, I, I really just started out as a, as most writers do, just with a few pages, thinking, you know, that little fantasy that we have that we can sit down and that we're actually going to one day write a book and we're going to get published and we're going to see it on the, on the bookshelves. And really, you know, I, I, it it started out just as a, a hobby, mm-hmm. and um, and then I actually wrote the the initial story. And then actually, when I first finished the first manuscript, which was after a few years of writing, I actually went out to a party afterwards and I didn't normally tell people that I were, that, that I was writing a book in my spare time. Mm. And I told them about the story about this, uh, about the concept of uh, time speeding up and a time traveler getting sent back to the present day to slow down the speed of time, you know, the. You know, that whole concept that every year feels like it's going faster and faster. Like, I can't believe it's the end of November now, mm. for example. Mm. feels like I, I was just trying to live up to my New Year's resolutions from, from last year. <laughs> and uh, time seems to be moving more quickly. And I told uh, this guy, um, who interestingly only has one leg, and I, I told this guy, the one-legged man, the story, and he said, well, you're actually talking about a phenomenon called the Schumann frequency. And then I went and did some research on the Schumann frequency and found out that a lot of the premise that I'd been writing about was actually based in historical fact. Mm. And so I sort of stumbled upon the fact that I was onto something which is very close to the truth, went back and spent another couple of years feeding all the historical factors into it, uh, that the magnetic frequency inside the Earth's atmosphere was increasing and and so the Schumann frequency um, came to be, and uh, originally the book was called uh, The Mission of Isaiah. When I find out about this true phenomenon, I then went and folded it all back in, and... Uh and it went from there and that's where I sort of got the bug for historical fiction writing. Mm.
0: Now, you've spent, you said that you spent years writing the, your first manuscript. At that point during those years, did you think that you were, it was going to end up being a published book or was it? did you do it for fun? Like what drove you <laughs> to finish it?
1: Well, I, I I actually have trouble sleeping at night.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: and I, I'm sure, like many writers, look. Some people write in the morning. Some people write, you know, during the day. I'm one of those people that writes sort of in the dead of night. And uh, so, for me, rather than watching television, writing was just something that I I found the most enjoyable thing of all. And. Well, let's face it. If you're a writer, you, you're the master of your own universe. You can you can make characters do whatever you want them to do. You can control people. You can control the future. You can control time. All those factors. And I, I guess I became a little bit addicted to the writing. And I think you know, I think if you want to be a writer, you've got to love the writing. Mm. And so there's there's nothing hard about sitting at a computer for hours and hours, trying your best to. To master your craft and so for me there was nothing hard about those years of toil Mm. i think that you know it's certainly hard when you get rejected (laughs) there's no question about that 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 is a soul destroying experience at every level but you learn to deal with that as well, and you realise that there's as many critics as there are people that are going to praise you along the way. So you've just got to you've got to try and balance yourself out there. But I think a good bit of rejection for a writer is a good thing.
0: And so tell us a bit about that, because now you're successfully signed to a Random House. Um, but initially, was there uh, periods of rejection? Which I and I understand that you ended up self-publishing. The human frequency initially. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Well, I, I actually got rejected by every single publisher in Australia, with, <laughs> with the exception of Random House, who had the courtesy of not writing back to me, which I'm always very grateful <laughs> for. And uh, I think that, uh, yeah. so what I did was I finished my manuscript, I sent it out to everybody, I got back the standard rejection letters over the course of anything from a month to a year. Mm. And, you know, every time you'd see that envelope, you know, from HarperCollins or from, from Penguin or from Hachette, then you know there 'd be this anticipation you 'd open up the envelope and then there 'd be a rejection in there a pretty standard form letter mm. and so I thought, well, uh, you know Patrick Gallagher, who at the time was the CEO of Allen and Unwin, actually rang me up and said, um, "Look, I really like your manuscript, but you need to take it to the next level. I suggest you speak to this manuscript assessment agency called link. Mm-hmm. I then sent my manuscript to them, I then spent another couple of years." Um, Backwards and forwards, really trying to master my craft and really try to take the cliche elements out of it mm. as much as I possibly could. And and I I think it was a worthy rite of passage. Really, when I look back at the whole journey, I think that that they were really good experiences to go through. And uh, he gave me some great advice. Then Link said that 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 they thought that I really had a publishable manuscript and wrote me a letter saying that they thought it was the best unpublished manuscript in Australia at the time but mm. look it's it's their point of view. Mm. I then thought okay I'm going to send it out to all the publishers again. Mm. This time I got the rejection letters back but they were much nicer this time. So I know that there is a there there's a degree of compassion that exists within the publishing industry for really? the slush pile and you know the whole concept that you know unsolicited manuscripts won't be accepted is actually not true. Mm. So they were, if you do send your manuscript into a publishing company, they will look at it, um, it. It may take up to a year for them to look at it, but they will. Mm. And uh, this time, the rejection letters were along the lines of, um, we we like your work, but we don't believe that there's a market which is large enough to cater for time travelers going back to manipulate time. <laughs> and the whole concept that it was really getting um, typecast as being science fiction, and, and I never really felt it was that. I, I thought it was historical fiction. And that the concepts of time travel themselves, you know, know, they are, time travel actually is possible. It's just that the technology to do it, it doesn't exist. And so I never really felt that it was science fiction. Mm. And so so the journey really went from there. I really had to make a choice for myself, and that was, well, what was I going to do? I'd spent 10 years now Mm. um, writing this. And I thought, well, you know, if I can spend 10 years focusing on something, well, I should have the NANOS to be able to publish it myself and, and hopefully do a good enough job to at least find out whether there is a market or not.
0: Mm. So what happened next? Because once you self-publish, you obviously need to ensure it gets into bookstores and you need to market it. Is that what you did?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think that um, that ultimately the you can't sell a book if it's not on the bookshelf. Mm. And so the, the first and most necessary equation is that you've got to get it on the shelf. And the only way to get it on the shelf is to get support from the bookseller. Mm. And booksellers have tremendous amount of power in relation to what gets sold and what doesn't get sold, Mm. purely by how many books they'll put on the shelf and what position they'll take within the store. Mm. And so I literally went on a campaign to go and visit every single bookstore um, across Australia. And we we went and visited something along the lines of 300 bookstores (laughs) and all of the head offices, and, and I really took to it like a businessman would take to it and really tried to to sell it. We put together a small marketing campaign associated with it, got some great support, and uh, we actually got 12,000 books put out on the shelf, mm. <clears throat> which was in June 2007 um, for a June 1st release in 2007, and within three months, we'd sold 10,000 of the 12,000 had had been sold nice. within three months, which was... And, you know, if I if I look back at that and if I, if I had to give one piece of advice for anyone that, that wants to self-publish, you've just got to have a cover that is incredibly distinctive because mm-hmm. you can walk into a bookstore and if it just blends into um, everything else, then it can be very hard for the, for the book buyer to identify it. Mm-hmm. And so I think we did a really great job just with the red and white cover. I think mm-hmm. that was probably the secret to why it got put, picked up. And, um, you know, I'll just make this quick point. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I've spoken to a lot of writers over the years and had the privilege of um, spending some time with Matthew Riley, who Mm -hmm. obviously famously self-published his first book, and um, people like Garth Nix. And um, universally, most people, probably with the exception of Matthew Riley, would say don't ever self-publish. I I think that is, um, I think that's wrong. Mm -hmm. I I think that... um, you just have to make sure that your network is clear and that you've got books on the shelf. There's no point self-publishing if you can't get the books on the shelf, and mm. so you, and it's a bit of a catch-22, but if you can do that, then really you, you're in exactly the same league as any publisher because everybody's fighting for the same piece of shelf space, mm. and ultimately the reader will decide, and if you've got something which is good, word of mouth really is the biggest driving force in selling books. Mm. And no one really knows why one book sells more than another one does, and it's still a mystery to me <laughs> <laughs> I look at it and I, I look at it all the time but uh, but I really think that um that cover dynamics is m- massively important, and you've got to believe that you've got something and you've got to try and identify who your market is and I think it's possible and rather than trying to negotiate the um, own, the only avenue into being published is via a publishing house. Mm. Um, they, they take such a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of um, of books that are that are out there, of manuscripts that are on the market, mm. and they tend to err towards um, more literary fiction because um, your mainstream fiction is, is, you know, you've got your Clive Cusslers and you've got your you know, at the time, Michael Crichton and Dan Brown, and you know, so so many people fit that marketplace so well. You know, worldwide, you know, writers. Mm. It's very difficult for your local publishing industry to say, well, okay, let's let's take a mainstream um, contemporary writer from Australia and let's put them on the shelf and let's compete with them because mm-hmm. it's difficult, very difficult.
0: So you obviously need some level of entrepreneurial or marketing now in addition to obviously your writing ability if you want to self publish would you say that or
1: what um i i think anyone that's got the capability to write a book mm. has got the brains to be able to put it together in their own mind if they if they really want to that mm. that's that's my honest belief because it, it it's it's not that complicated so uh, provided you've got the fundamentals and that is you know you you've got a, a good manuscript it's marketable You've got it on the shelf, and you've got the support of the booksellers. Then you you can make it work. I, I, I you know, look, I, I wouldn't say to people, um, you know, you you need to just throw forty thousand dollars at this and see what happens. I think you've got to, obviously got to be smart about it. But I I think that um, that's very very difficult to get published. And if I could go back again, I'd probably focus more on literary agents mm. because once I got a literary agent, that's when it really all took over. It really um, started to go well for me. Mm. And um, Selwa Anthony became my literary agent. That was after selling 10,000 copies. And then before I knew it, we had deals in Europe. We then did a deal with Random House in Australia. And then Random House Worldwide ended up picking the rights up for everything for all the remaining regions. Mm. So, But I think a literary agent is a key because it's very difficult to sell yourself, but literary agents, they're experts at it.
0: Very inspirational for all the people who are listening. Now you're normally in IT, is that right? You you yeah, run an IT business in your.
1: I, I do run an <laughs> IT business, and and we're renowned in the IT business for not being too creative. So so it's um it it is uh it, it, they're two definitely different worlds. And but did you ever and...
0: want to be a writer previously, and you kind of somehow ended up in IT? How did this work?
1: Well, I I always wanted to be a writer, right? From a very young age, and spending a lot of time travelling, and um, and my IT plan was my backup plan while I was writing, but um, my IT business just, just did very well, mm-hmm. and you know employs you know a few hundred people now across Australia and the Asia Pacific, and so it's uh, so it does, does definitely pulls me in two different directions, but mm-hmm. you know as long as you love what you're doing. Like I said, nothing's hard if you love it.
0: Sure. So your second novel, The First Boxer, which has been published by Random House, now I'm assuming it was a, quite a different process because you've had one under your belt, but that one took 10 years in the making. How, how long did this one take and was how was the process different the second time around?
1: Well, Random House took the Schumann frequency and um, rebranded it and released it in A format, which is the little format. So the original format was C format and so they re-released uh, the um, the human frequency, and then uh, signed a two-book deal beyond that. And the first boxer, they gave me twelve months, mm-hmm. and said, um, 10 months from today, we need a completed manuscript from you." Which was a very, very different process. So rather than having an open-ended view towards how long it would take you to get it to get the job done, now you've got a, a time frame that you're working to. I, I found. The time frame factor much easier to work with mm. than than not really having a compelling event. Mm-hmm. And so, but and you've got your um, your editor that gets assigned to you, ringing you up every month, saying, "Send me your latest pages so that they can have a look at it, so that they can um, make sure that you're on the right track." Um, and the European contracts also bought uh, the first boxer as well, so there was there was some pressure to make sure that we did a good job. Mm. I uh, went to China three times to write uh, the, the first Boxer, which is um, set during the Opium Wars in uh, sort of the late 1800s through to the Boxer Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And uh, Time travel. it's actually a sequel to The Human Frequency, but you can read it as a standalone book. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Spent a lot of time there in China and just, uh, treated myself like I was the most famous writer in the entire <laughs> world, which was, <laughs> which was great. Even if it's just, for, even if it's a little bit of fantasy in there as well, I, I really enjoyed the process and, and going and visiting places, knowing that you're trying to glean some inspiration from it is a very, very satisfying mm. thing to do. And I, you know, I love Chinese culture and, and just, uh, had a, had a fantastic time writing that book and loved every minute of it. And, uh. Delivered it on time to Random House, which was which was great, and uh, yeah, it's been uh, a fantastic process. But definitely different set of pressures. Yeah. Um, but you go from when you're trying to self-publish and you're out there on your own. Really, nobody wants to be your friend, and yeah. I'm sure that there will be a lot of people that are listening to this who who are aspiring writers or who are writers really waiting to get published, mm. and uh, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You then go into a family like Random House or, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same with HarperCollins or Penguin or Hachet or or Allen and Unwin. I'm sure it's the same with all of them and they just give you so much love and encouragement and uh, that, that re- really feels like it's a bit of a twilight zone experience because mm-hmm. you go from r- real seclusion to really being part of a team mm-hmm. that's trying to put together a project and uh, it's very, very satisfying
0: wonderful support now are you one of those writers that has to plot everything out so you're quite clear on where your path is going or do you just do you just let the creative writing process take over and just write what comes out and sort of see what happens.
1: <laughs> well, I, well, with the Schumann frequency, it was just let it come out because I never really knew where I was going with mm-hmm. it, um, which makes the writing very exciting because for you, it's unfolding for you as well. Mm. I'm sure this will be clear to a lot, to a lot of your listeners mm-hmm. as well. But with, when, when you're writing under a pre-agreed contract, you actually have to give them a synopsis of the story that you're going to write. And my agent's telling me you know if you want to change for, if you want to veer from the synopsis that's okay but if you if you build a framework like that, you tend to work to it so again it's a different writing process because you more or less know the 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 framework that you're trying to work within or albeit broad because your synopsis is only two pages long so yeah. there's there's yeah. some some you know scope to to veer around in there but uh it's a different process and and I think that um, probably if you're going to write to a time frame, you really need to know, uh, I think, where you're going. Mm-mm.
0: And did you set yourself some targets of X number of words per day? Was it quite systematic? Or how did you set aside the times, right, considering you'd run a company with a few hundred people? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's um. well, what I do is uh, I write every night um, between 10 PM and 2 AM, mm-hmm. and that's um, and generally that's six days per week, and then so I write um, evening six days and then all Sunday and then have Sunday evening off. Mm. And um, you know I've always likened writing to a, bit, a little bit like going to the gym. You know the more you do it, the the easier it becomes, and and four hours can go very quickly if you're in the zone and. And, you know, I've had people ask me, do you ever get writer's block? Mm. Um, uh, you know, touch wood. I, I've actually never had writer's block to date. Mm. But I, I think that just comes from, um, you know, I, I think you've got the ability to, to talk a lot of crap. And <laughs> 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 but generally, you can find a vein of, of inspiration somewhere in there. So.
0: And so are you writing your third book at the moment?
1: Yeah, I've already started that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and uh, just came back. Um, well, it's four weeks ago now, but um, I w- went to Peru mm-hmm. um, to go and visit Machu Picchu and walk mm-hmm. the Inca Trail and uh, spend some time up there on um, on Mount Machu Picchu um, in the ruins, which are you know the, the Inca civilization and the and the invasion by the Conquistadors in fifteen thirty two and Pizarro mm-hmm. and it's absolutely extraordinary, extraordinary history. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I spent some time there and um, have already provided my synopsis. They've already given me, a, Random House have given me a time frame um, to write the third book in this series. And so, so we're, we're off. I, I, I will confess, though, I have not typed one single word yet other than the, <laughs> the synopsis. But um, I'm reading all the historical reference books which um which which then provide the foundation for the for the story, because really you know people that read my books, hopefully what happens is you learn a lot about the history from a viewpoint uh from a moral perspective which is more like our own as opposed to the moral perspective of the Spanish invaders, which uh I can guarantee you that uh was very very different where anyone that wasn't um, a, a, a a Christian effectively was uh a heathen and worth a half as much as any Christian so uh, so some pretty diabolical things took place so yeah history's history is littered with some um, some really shocking things
0: so are you going to do you think you're going to stick with historical fiction or do you think you might branch out into the future that is and and try other genres
1: um, I I haven't really thought anything past um, this this third book because I've, I probably haven't got the capacity to think beyond, beyond one one set of stories at one time. I, I look, I, I'd like to think that um, that that things will go well enough that I'll be able to write whatever I choose. But uh, but you build up a, um, a a base of readers and you, you need to be true to that to to a certain extent. Mm. And so and the advice that I'm getting given from Random House is to stick to the genre because the genre for whatever reason is is working and so uh i think uh, i think we'll see I, and you know i I'm, and you know i i know how to write that way and so what we'll do is we'll see how it pans out but uh, you know i think w- we all hope that um that we've got an unlimited amount of books in us but um <laughs> I'll I'll just take one book at a time.
0: Now, during the day when you're in the world of IT and it's not 10pm to 2am and you're doing all your IT work, does your brain run right with, you know, stories of conquistadors and (laughs) Machu Picchu settings and all of that? and what happens when you're meant to be, you know, looking at this server or whatever it is that you do? Well,
1: well, you know, I, I often say that um, that dealing with me on a normal um, day-to-day business um, transaction is, is a very, very risky thing to do because <laughs> if you're an extreme character in any way, you you may just find yourself as a, in one of my books. And so a, a lot of the characters and a lot of the traits of the characters, You're know, one of the big benefits of of working every day and, and dealing with um, lots of different people. And lo- the world's full of characters. I mean, there's no question about it. And all of the people that I write about in my stories are based on people that I actually know and and real events. And uh, and sometimes it can be a high-pressure environment in the IT industry. And, and I, I learn a lot from those those events and what's taking place. And I try to apply that and try to apply what I've learned into what I'm writing so that hopefully it's got some kind of basis in in fact, and but one thing I know for certain, and and that is, it, it's far easier to be a businessman, mm. and it's far easier to to run a successful business than it is to be a successful writer. <laughs> and um, because there's there's a thousand ways to succeed in business, and and everybody's looking for the same objective, mm. which is to to make it work, and hopefully you always get win-win scenarios. Mm. But but in writing, you know what what is it that particularly touches people, and the balance of of how much um, pain and suffering versus how much joy and how much love and how much loss there can be in a story mm. really can determine um, really have an effect on the reader, and that that's a very very difficult thing to judge, let alone the publishing industry, which is a minefield mm. in, in itself. So, so I'd say if you're looking for an easier path, um, business is, um, is is far easier, but but writing's where your satisfaction
0: comes from. And on that note, that's perfect. Thank you very much for your time today, Christopher. My pleasure. ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, kho Thank you for listening.